to impeach or not to impeach? That is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the tweets and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles, and by opposing, end them. To impeach, to sleep, no more. And by a sleep, to say we end. The headache and the million natural shocks that flesh is to air, to tis a consummation, devoutly to be wished, to impeach, to sleep. To sleep, perchance to dream, I there's the rub. For in that sleep of impeachment, what dreams may come, when our country has shuffled off this mortal coil, must give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of so long life. For who bears the whips and scorns of time, the oppressor's wrong, a proud man's contumely, the pangs of despot power, the law's delay, the insolence of office, and the spurns that patient merit of thy unworthy tweets, when he himself might his quietest make with a bare bodkin. Who would Americans bear to protest and detest under a weary life, but that the dread of something after trial, an undiscovered base from whose born no migrant returns, puzzles the will and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others that we have now not of. Thus conscientious does make cowards of us all, and thus the native hue of resolution is sicklied or with the pale cast of thought, and enterprises of great pitch and moment with this regard their currents turn awry and lose the name of action. Soft you now, the unfair trump, king in thy orisons, be all thy sins remembered. Hi friends, welcome back to the Hill of Roses, where we come once again to celebrate the best works of the social left and debate the policy positions of the movement we create together. This week, as you could probably tell by the revised Hamlet poem that I only needed to change 20 words on, we will be discussing the impeachment of Donald Trump. The past couple of weeks, uh, the conversation of impeachment has arisen yet again after a release of a 448-page highly redacted Mueller report and Elizabeth Warren afterwards bringing the conversation into Democratic town halls. So let's take a moment uh, to allow Senator Warren to set the tone for us on why this topic today is important and inevitably where I too will largely land regarding the question of to impeach or not to impeach. So let's give that a watch. You have called for uh, impeachment proceedings to be initiated against President Trump. What do you say to those Democrats who say, look, this is not the time, it's gonna take away focus from winning in 2020, 
Speaker Pelosi told her caucus again just today that she has no plans to immediately initiate impeachment proceedings. So there is no political inconvenience exception to the United States Constitution. Um, <laughs> this one is, if I can, I want to take a little time on this because I think this is really important. Um, uh, last Thursday, uh, I'd been out, I'd been to South Carolina. Uh, this was all about climate change. That's where I was, South Carolina, coastal communities that were protesting offshore drilling. I then came to Colorado, um, the biggest drought in 1,200 years. And then to Utah, where they had one of the worst wildfire seasons in a generation. And I'm on an airplane coming back and the Mueller report drops. And so I start reading it on the airplane. I read it on through the evening. I read it into the wee hours of the morning. And when I get to the end, three things just jump off the page. I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican, an independent, a libertarian, a vegetarian. <laughs> three things just totally jump off the page. The first is that a hostile foreign government attacked our 2016 election in order to help Donald Trump. The evidence is just there, read it, footnote after footnote, page after page documentation. Part two, Donald Trump welcomed that help. So on the first one about what they did, understand, this was a sophisticated attack. They attacked part of the voting system. That's going to be an ongoing federal investigation. They hacked into more than 50 computers at the DNC, the DCCC, a very serious attack. And Donald Trump welcoming it um, in the Mueller report. Just read it. Uh, he gets off the phone from an unnamed caller and looks up and says to the other person in the phone, there are more leaks coming. Um, the idea that he was welcoming what was happening from the Russian government. And by the summer of 2016, the report documents that by that point, the Trump, uh, the Trump uh, campaign actually had a worked out formal process for dealing with the leaks that were coming in from the Russians. So that's part two. Part three is when the federal government starts to investigate part one and part two. Donald Trump took repeated steps aggressively to try to halt the investigation, derail the investigation, push the investigation somewhere else, but otherwise keep that investigation from going forward and turning into a serious investigation about a hostile foreign government that attacked us and about his own personal interests. So here's how I see this. If any other human being in this country had done what's documented in the Mueller report, they would be arrested and put in jail. Obstruction of justice is a serious crime in this country. But Mueller believed, because of the directions from Donald Trump's Justice Department, that he could not bring a criminal indictment against a sitting president. So I think he's wrong on that, but that's what he believed. So he serves the whole thing up to the United States Congress and says, in effect, if there's going to be any accountability, that accountability has to come 
from the Congress. And the tool that we are given for that accountability is the impeachment process. This is not about politics. This is about principle. This is about what kind of a democracy we have. In a dictatorship, everything in government revolves around protecting the one person at the center. But not in our democracy and not under our Constitution. We have checks and balances. And we have to proceed here in a way, understanding our place in history, that not only protects democracy now, but protects democracy when the next president comes in and the next president and the president after that. But, but you That's just, our responsibility. But you started off by saying, by talking about some of your travels and people talking about climate change and their yes. concerns and tabletop issues. Yes. Doesn't putting a lot of Democrats focused on impeaching the president, which is not gonna pass in the Senate, it's not really gonna go anywhere in that sense, doesn't that take away focus from the tabletop issues that you and other Democrats say they want to run on? So, you know, let me just say, if you've actually read the Mueller report, it's all laid out there. It's not like it's going to take a long time to figure this out. It's there. It's got the footnotes. It's got the points. It collect, connects directly to the law. But this really is fundamentally, I took an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States. And so did everybody else in the Senate and in the House. And I believe that every person in the Senate and the House ought to have to vote and to say either, yeah, that's OK with me. Yeah, let a president just step in the way he did when he told the White House counsel to go fire Mueller and then told the White House counsel to go lie about having told the White House counsel to go fire Mueller, and then told the White House counsel to write a letter saying that Donald Trump had not told him to go fire Mueller, and then to say, why on earth would you take notes about what I said to you? The lawyers I deal with never put anything in writing. If there are people in the House or the Senate who want to say that's what a president can do when the president is being investigated for his own wrongdoings or when a foreign government attacks our country, then they should have to take that vote and live with it for the rest of their lives. So in this episode, I'm not going to be doing a deep dive on the Mueller report as many political pundits have done. People have covered it, and the actual investigation itself has been covered too many times over that I'm sure many of you are already sick about hearing about it uh, already, despite, you know, it only being released 12 days ago uh, as of this recording. So, I mean, the too-long-did-not-read version of it is basically, it established three main takeaways. Um, one, there was not enough evidence to indict Trump on collusion with Russia. Two, there is plenty of evidence to suggest Trump may have obstructed justice, but Mueller basically threw this judicial question to the Congress to figure out and decide if whether these charges brought forward are worth punishing. 
Three, there are many financial crime investigations still ongoing about Trump that led to a variety of redactions in this report. What I would rather talk about instead of going into depth about those three points today is whether or not we should actually lead impeachment proceedings um, over obstruction of justice as well as some other matters. So to begin this discussion, I think it's important that we start off with some you know, common definitions. Let's, let's use some constitutional definitions of what impeachment means and the reasons why a president could end up impeached. So when it comes to impeachment, there are two main sections of our Constitution that come into focus. Article 2, Section 4, and Article 1, Section 3. So, Article 2, Section 4 reads, quote, The President, Vice President, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. This shows that the right to impeachment is given to remove any president, vice president, or any appointed government official. Although, there is actually an exception for officers of the Army and Navy. It should be noted that it also does not include members of Congress. And we'll get into that a little bit later of why that occurred in the rules. Furthermore, uh, this states the reasons why a president can be brought up for impeachment. Treason, bribery, high crimes, and misdemeanors. The first two of these are actually quite clear, but the confusion and debate begin with that last justifiable reason for impeachment of high crimes and misdemeanors, a phrase truly ambiguous enough to be left to representative interpretation. Finally, it establishes the consequence of impeachment. It is the removal from office, not imprisonment or other punishments, because that would occur as a separate trial that would need to take place to establish criminal misconduct rather than a loss of confidence from the Congress over suspected tyranny or official misconduct. So, now that we know the reasons, punishment, and eligible individuals for impeachment, let's next read the second uh, constitutional section on impeachment, uh, Article 1, Section 3, to see if that adds any more clarity or more confusion to the topic of impeachment. So, quote, the Senate shall have the sole power to try all impeachments. When sitting for that purpose, they shall be on oath or affirmation. When the President of the United States is tried, the Chief Justice shall preside, and no person shall be convicted without the concurrence of two-thirds of the members present. Judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further 
than to removal from office and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States. But the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to the law. So this passage really helps to establish the procedure in which impeachment can occur, and it further clarifies the punishment for impeachment. Most notable items to take away from this section are two things, in my opinion. One, impeachment is done by the Senate. You need a two-thirds of members to be able to actually impeach as well. So as you may know, if you followed me from the beginning, I've always, I'd say, believed that the Senate is a flawed institution due to its distortion in representation between individuals by the state they live in, allowing a majority rule in that body of Congress by only 17.5% of the population. Small population states more often tend to be rural communities due to lower population densities, reducing the overall population of the state, and rural communities more often change at slower paces and tend to accommodate less tourism and thus exposure to foreign cultures, which can lead to a more conservative view of the world around them. With this in mind, it makes the case of leading a successful charge of impeachment a difficult proposition for any current Democratic coalition, which only holds currently 47 out of the 100 total seats. So they would need to be able to convince at least 20 Republicans to flip to remove our national shame from office. So with this context in play, it may confuse someone how our system reached this point of such abusable power that is, that is difficult to remove. And so I believe it is pertinent that we go dive into some historical context behind the actual drafting of presidential impeachment procedures. To do that, uh, this week, as we always do, we're celebrating a piece of work. Uh, and in this case, we're giving a shout out to our forefathers by diving into the 1787 Constitutional Convention notes by James Madison. So, the notes begin on June 2nd, on a discussion of introducing the idea of removing a president from office through impeachment. But unlike today, it could be based solely on the will of the Senate without any charges of wrongdoing against the president. So, first, John Dickinson of Delaware had proposed this rule because he believed it was necessary to institute the power of removal of a president. He, however, was not in favor of allowing any of the individual members of a state to be removed from their office. Finally, he stated that he believed the power needed to remain in the hands of the state instead of in the hands of the people. Next, 
Gunning Bedford Jr. Uh, then seconded his colleague from Delaware uh, to bring the motion forward for formal discussion and vote. So after this, Robert Sherman of Connecticut, uh, George Mason of Virginia, James Madison himself, and James Wilson disagreed with the Delaware delegates and helped kill the motion, stating its ability to incentivize corruption of senators and that it would leave the power to remove the official in the hands of the few as a minority of the general electorate. And this could prevent the removal of someone who is a just candidate for dispelling from office. Then the motion reappeared nearly two months later on July 20th with some new restrictions for its application as the delegates grew to understand that there was a need for removal of a president under certain conditions to prevent the tyranny of a president becoming king. The new proposal became, quote, to be removable on impeachment and conviction for malpractice or neglect of duty. Mr. Pinky of South Carolina, Mr. Davey of North Carolina, and Mr. Wilson of Pennsylvania agreed with the motion on the premise it is a security to ensure good governance. Governor uh, Morris of Pennsylvania, he disagreed on the motion, stating it in any criminal wrongdoing by the president, there would still be uh, co-conspirators uh, that would be eligible to be punished and that the president could then be judged on the allegations of his wrongdoing by the results of the next election. So then after that, George Mason added that he contended with Governor Morris uh, because impeachment is necessary because no man should be above justice, especially men capable of committing crimes of the highest degrees of injustice. When great crimes are committed, the principles generally are not excused and just left with their adjutors to solely be arrested. Uh, no, they're both tried for their crimes that they are accused of. So there had been much debate and difficulty as to the mode of choosing who would decide the next executive. He, he worried that leaving the responsibility to the electorate would allow the electorate to be corrupted by the commands of the executive on trial to repeat the potential crimes to keep his own power uh, through the hands of the electorate. He concluded by stating that the power to make the decisions should be left to the national legislature. Benjamin Franklin then reasoned for retaining the clause as it's favorable to the executive. For if it's not a fair process and incorrect charges are brought forward to malign the president's character, that 
there would need to be a fair process to actually encourage participation by the executive as to not encourage alternative manners of removal, such as assassination, which would deny him of his right to life and also his liberty to defend himself. Governor Morris agreed with the group that impeachment for crimes by the president must be allowed. However, the types of impeachable offenses should be explicit and enumerated rather than left for broad interpretations. James Madison then continued the conversation by making the case uh, that the executive magistracy, which would be administered by a single man for the loss of capacity or corruption, was more within the compass of probable events, and either of them might be fatal to the Republic. Mr. Pinky and Mr. King argued that impeachment would be unnecessary and it would cripple the president's independence from the legislature and instead a review of fitness for office should be decided by our periodic reviews of election. So then Mr. Jerry of Massachusetts urged that the necessity of impeachments are, you know, a good ruler should never fear them, and a bad leader should. It is for the ultimate incentive to being a good magistrate. Mr. Randolph of Virginia then built off this by then saying that all injustice must be corrected and rulers punished for their violation. He argued, however, with the acceptance of the absolute need for some form of a process of impeachment, that it be done by the Senate and that there be an initial vote to at least concern, uh, confirm if it's worth considering to bring impeachment charges forward. So then Benjamin Franklin made what I considered a great point when he mentioned the case of the Prince of Orange during the late war. An agreement was made between France and Holland by which their two fleets were to unite at a certain time and place. The Dutch fleet did not appear. Everybody began to wonder at it. At length, it was suspected that the stadtholder was at the bottom of the matter. This suspicion prevailed more and more, yet as he could not be impeached and no regular examination took place, he remained in his office and strengthened his own party as the party to oppose him uh, became formidable. He gave birth to most violent animosities and contentions. Had he been impeachable, a regular and peaceful inquiry could have taken place and he would have been guilty and duly punished, or, if innocent, restored to the confidence of the public. Remember this for a little bit later when I conclude. So then further, afterwards, Mr. King disagreed with Ben. Uh, for Stadtholder, he asserted, was not pertinent, since his position was held for life and not periodically assessed through an election. Mr. Wilson observed that 
if the idea were to be pursued, the senators who are to hold their places during the same term with the executive ought to be subject to impeachment and removal themselves. Uh, something I think makes no sense. I mean, like, come on. One party could destroy the other by these methods, by impeaching any election official that opposed their party once they reached power. Mr. Pinckney uh, apprehended that some gentlemen uh, reasoned on a supposition that the executive was to have powers which would not be committed to him. He presumed that his powers would be so circumscribed as to render impeachments unnecessary. This guy's a fool. <laughs> he had no foresight into the abuse of executive orders. For they saw him as a man who helped lead the Congress, set example for the country, and make final signature, rather than as a commander of legislative action by decree. Uh, Mr. Governor Morris's opinion had been swayed during the discussion, and he believed that impeachment was a necessary measure. Our executive was not like a magistrate having a life interest, uh, much less like one having a hereditary interest in his office. He suggested lacking this intrinsic need to uphold the sanctity of office due to no hereditary nobility requirement. The executive may be bribed by domestic or international actors to act against his nation. However, he suggested that the sole power of this process should be to judge the executive as an officer in his duty rather than as a citizen. Delegates from Massachusetts and South Carolina proposed delays on voting on this agenda so that they could have more reflection time on the matter, but that was rightfully shot down. So then, upon the final vote of whether or not an executive should be removable on impeachments, the votes by the states were the following. Massachusetts? No. Connecticut? Yes. New Jersey? Yes. Pennsylvania? Yes. Delaware? Yes. Maryland? Yes. Virginia? Yes. North Carolina? Yes. South Carolina? No. Georgia? Yes. So let's now flash forward to the end of the constitutional framing of impeachment again. As we go nearly two months forward again to September 8th. So the clause referring to the Senate, the trial of impeachments against the president for treason and bribery was taken up to be revised and expanded. George Mason began this conversation suggesting that treason as currently defined in the Constitution will not reach many great and dangerous offenses. Warren Hastings, who in Great Britain was brought up for impeachment after being accused of misconduct during his time in Calcutta, particularly uh, related to mismanagement and personal corruption would not fall under the current definition of being guilty of treason. Attempts to subvert the Constitution may not be treason as currently defined, he explained. As 
Denying rights and causing property forfeiture are forbidden by the British Constitution? It becomes pertinent to expand power of impeachments. He moved to add after bribery or maladministration. Mr. Jerry seconded him. Um, Mr. Madison, though, criticized that maladministration was too vague a term, and Governor Morris argued that election cycles of four years would highly discourage maladministration already. Mason, in response, withdrew the term maladministration and instead substituted it with, quote, other high crimes and misdemeanors against the state. On the vote of an altered definition, the final vote of our current definition went New Hampshire, yes. Massachusetts, yes. Connecticut, yes. New Jersey, no. Come on, New Jersey. Pennsylvania, no. Delaware, no. Maryland, yes. Virginia, yes. North Carolina, yes. South Carolina, yes. And Georgia, yes. So, my takeaways from these framers' discussion on the matter is that the tool of impeachment is one that is necessary to bring forward bravely to hold an executive for misconduct so that power is not further abused to retain power. Power begets power begets power. And unless it is held to account for its abuse by the collective and its representation, it will go to its furthest extents. However, the process must remain fair. So as to allow recovery in respected authority, and it should only be used as a legislative referendum on the misconduct of an executive officer to empower oneself or a foreign body over one's nation. Trump clearly fits this for many reasons by even this technical definition, many of which are being financial crimes still being investigated, with two of which are named and a dozen unnamed ongoing investigations. But I believe the most likely method you will get Trump on uh, in terms of impeachment will end up being a violation of the Emoluments Clause and a violation of the War Powers Resolution. I believe that these cases, in addition to the case of dangling obstruction of justice uh, that was left as a question in the Mueller report, all suggest that we have the obligation to hold our elected official accountable. The more interesting question becomes, is impeaching Trump the correct political action, given that the odds are so stacked against its success? And whether it being right or wrong in terms of electoral politics even matters. Based on our framers' interpretation and the 67% of you uh, who chose to impeach, I think you're correct. It is our only tool we have to bring accountability 
to authoritarian tyranny in a civil manner, or else, as our framers have said, we will see abuses of power to claim more power when left to being solely at the hands of the electorate. We've seen Trump make claims of voter fraud before, and Trump has been conveniently given a credible line of election integrity confidence being shaken by a narrative being pushed by many within the Democratic Party that Russia had exhibited they are capable of hacking our voting systems to mess with our election results. With abuses of executive actions and orders like vetoing a reinforcement of existing law with the War Powers Resolution and making multiple executive orders to help promote, uh, subsidize, deregulate, and expand zoning for the fossil fuel industries, we should know Trump as an entirely self-serving individual will attempt to seize power to protect himself just as he has done in the process of the special counsel investigation that was being conducted upon him for his potential involvement in Russian collusion. Impeachment proceedings, in my opinion, should begin with the war powers resolution violation and expand into financial crimes of violating the emolument clause that are still being investigated afterwards once we have more details when those cases are published. Um, procedure will take plenty of time, uh, especially with the resistance we know we're likely to face in the Senate, uh, the time that it's still going to take for these investigations to secure more information, getting witnesses that have been subpoenaed to actually appear before the Senate. And we would really like to not have this drag out into 2020 if we can, as we want the conversation then to be about the direction of our country and what we can do for the people rather than a fixated conversation around the impeachment of Donald Trump. Its current definition for actions that are impeachable, I believe are sufficient. However, I believe the process does need to be changed so that any time a vote ends with no supermajority established in either direction, compared to just a supermajority in the affirmative, that the votes in favor of if if the votes in favor of impeachment represent a majority of the population the matter will immediately lead to a vote of confidence by the elector uh, by the electorate on whether to remove the president from office and if they do reach a supermajority then the president would be removed from office so yes we must be brave to lead impeachment against Trump for his high crimes and misdemeanors. And, you know, it's likely going to be confirmed that these high crimes are going to be financial in nature. And I think that's going to be the more important nugget to bring forward rather than uh, obstruction of justice. So, yes, this is going to be an uphill battle, swaying 20 Republicans. But let this procedure be a referendum on the Republican Party. Will they stand with unconstitutional war and financial crimes rather than obstruction of justice? For that message will carry well into the general election. 
The Democratic Party, even if they overly focus on the impeachment procedures, if it unfortunately drags into 2020, would at least be signaling a winning message of we are the party of keeping the rich accountable for their financial crimes and that we will not be the party of unconstitutional war any longer. We will amend our relationship with the world, bring our troops home from, from all of these unconstitutional wars that we're currently involved in, and lead an effort of bridge building once again with, na with nations enduring in catastrophic conflict. So that's going to do it. Uh, we are, we've discussed our impeachment proceedings against Donald Trump finally. It was a really tough decision for me, and that's kind of why this video was delayed. So, you guys, let me know what you think will become of Trump. Do you think he's going to become the third president of all time to become impeached and join Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton? I don't think he will. But I think it's our moral responsibility to lead the case for the infractions committed and that if the charges are brought forward, it will help our chances as a supplementary topic to kitchen table issues in our election against Trump. So, do you guys want to enjoy more The Hill of Roses content? Go check out last week's episode on the extradition of Julian Assange or... Go check out all the fun we're having on Twitter.com, at the Hill of Roses. Right now, we are in the finals of Pod Madness, with only four finalists remaining. Uh, we have currently Kyle Kalinske of Secular Talk, who is right now dominating in the polls. There's still time left if you want to change that, as this poll will be ending on Thursday night, May 2nd. So you could still save the majority report current affairs, or citations needed if those are your favorite political podcasts. Furthermore, you can also find our matchup polls on all the Democratic nominees. Not just 20 of them or 19 of them, as a lot of these mainstream news organizations are messing up and reporting. All 21 of them. Uh, so we are doing this as a culmination effort to our new and improved monthly Terrific Tuesday that's going to be coming out May 7th. So make sure you're on the lookout for that. You're not going to want to miss it. It really has been enhanced. Promised on that one. Moreover, make sure you also look for the announcement of this video on Twitter as we've connected not just one, but two polls as the topic for next week's discussion, as I'm trying to make the effort to respond to your feedback by producing more episodes, but of shorter length. Finally, if you like what you watched or heard today, please, please make sure you subscribe and give us a like or a rating, given if you're on watching this on YouTube or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's really the only way we can show that the roses are growing upon our hill. Until next time, friends, stay rosy.